There is no joy quite like the joy of getting to know Jesus. Not just that initial joy as wonderful as, as it is of coming to know Him as our Lord and Savior, but the joy of getting to know Him deeper and better every day. It has been observed that expanding souls encounter an expanding Christ. In other words, as we get to know Him, He expands who we are. And as we get to know Him, we realize just how great and powerful and awesomely wonderful He is. Our theme verse for this year from the book of Nehemiah is, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the joy of the Lord is getting to know Jesus better every day. And the book of Hebrews was written to enable us to get to know Jesus and experience Him greater and deeper every day. Turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And my sermon outline is contained as an insert in your bulletin. Again, allow me, as I did last week, to paint the picture for what was going on in this book as it would have originally been received. As best we can tell, we think it was probably a tiny house church that was meeting outside of the city of Rome. These were a group of believers who were being persecuted for their faith. They were young in their faith, and they were paying dearly for their faith. We think it was probably on the very front edge of what became known as the Neronian persecution of the church, that is, the Emperor Nero blamed everything that was going wrong in the Roman Empire on the Christians to scapegoat the Christians for how he was screwing up as the emperor, and so they began to receive this blame. They were a small minority, and so they began to lose their property, they began to lose their jobs, and many of them even began to lose their lives for being followers of the Lord Jesus. They began to ask questions like, where is God in this? Why does God seem to be silent? Why is God allowing me to go through this? Why is God allowing my family to go through this? And so the writer of Hebrews writes this letter to these struggling young Christians. They're even at a place that they are beginning to fear going to church on Sunday and their churches would not have been in buildings like this, but small house churches, because again, if they were identified as followers of Jesus, they could be arrested and thrown in jail, if not killed. And so these believers are gathered in this room, and this, what we have is the book of Hebrews, begins to be read to them. And the writer is trying to say to them, the reason you're going through what you're going through is because of Jesus. But Jesus is worth it. Let me tell you how awesome Jesus is, who He is, and what He has done. So Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son who be appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he, that is Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now notice what he says, long ago, 
at many times, in other words, bit by bit, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke by the prophets. These first two verses are about how God is speaking to us. He talks about how God used to speak. Now, why did God speak? God spoke because He wanted a relationship with us. God spoke because He created us with the ability to listen and to hear and to understand what He was trying to say. To that group of Christians gathered in that tiny house church, the writer is saying, I want to remind you of something. God spoke in days gone by, and God is speaking right now. He's speaking to you. He's speaking into what you're going through. You just got to listen to what he's saying. He spoke in days gone by by the prophets. How did he speak through the prophets? He spoke through at times a direct voice when he spoke directly to the prophets. He spoke through signs that he carried out through the prophets. He spoke by dreams to the prophets and visions. But now he says he's speaking through his son. You see, the prophets spoke of the mind of God. Jesus was and is the mind of God. The prophets talked about God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus spoke by His character. He spoke by His works, what He did. He spoke by His presence and being with people. He spoke by His silence as He hung on the cross demonstrating that he was stronger than everything that was being thrown at him. He spoke through his healing ministry. And he spoke for eternity on that morning when he rose from the dead. He spoke by walking out of that tomb that he was greater than the grave, greater than the cross, greater than sin, and greater than everything that Satan and man could throw at him. He spoke as he rose from the dead. And as he, the writer here is speaking to these people... He's trying to bring them face-to-face -face with the power of God and the eloquence of God. But he's also trying to say to them, when you go through the toughest times in life, God uses the most difficult times in life to develop our ability to hear Him. And so often when we go through difficult times, we say, God, why are you allowing this? And what God is trying to say to us often is, I'm trying to develop your ability to hear me. I'm trying to slow your life down so you will hear me. In this dark hour, he's saying, God's speaking. You just got to trade your ears to hear him and what he's saying. Now, what he does here is he takes seven <coughs> titles of the Lord Jesus. Seven titles. And he holds them up like a, a jewel would be held up in the sunlight. And begins to shine in on the character of Jesus. Or I use this illustration. Sort of like your phone has got apps on it. These would be like seven different apps on who Jesus is and what he is doing and the power and glory of who he is. And let me pause for just a moment. I'm fighting some of the same mess that you guys are. And if I could get somebody to get me a bottle of water, that would greatly appreciate my voice getting through this message, okay? Thank you, Regina. All right, now let's begin to move through who he is in verse 2. First of all, it says here that he is the Son. He has spoken to us through his Son. Jesus is the ultimate 
revelation of God. He is the final and complete revelation of God. Now, in the Old Testament era, God spoke through all those prophets. But our privilege is greater than the Old Testament era. All of those Old Testament folks who got to hear Isaiah and Ezekiel and Elijah and Jeremiah over in the preceding chapter, chapter 11, where it lists that roll call of faith of all those great folks who had served the Lord through the Old Testament era. Now, I want you to think about this. All of them listened to some tremendous prophets. Can you imagine sitting back and listening to Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel with his visions? It's tempting for us to say, man, I wish we could have a prophet like that today. we got people that come on the scene every now and then on television or wherever, and they're saying they're prophets so-and-so, and people flock to hear them. What the writer here is saying is, folks, as great as the prophets were, we got the Son of God. We're one up on the prophets. We're way up on the prophets. They sat and listened to a prophet. Thank you. They listen to a Jeremiah or an Isaiah. We get to listen to the Son of God. You know, if if I wanted to communicate a message to you from my heart, if I sent a friend to you, if I sent somebody I appointed to you, that would be nice. But if I sent my son to give you the message, you're getting it straight from my heart. You're getting it as close to me as you possibly can. And that's what God did for us in sending Jesus. He said, I want to communicate my heart to you, my mind to you, who I am to you, and I am sending Jesus, my son, to you. Every time we read the scriptures, particularly in the gospels, and read through the Bible, We are hearing the message of the Son of God. Now, who is He? It says He's the Son, and as the Son, He is. Notice what it says, verse 2. He is the heir of all things. He is the heir of all things. God has looked at His Son, and He says, I'm going to make you the heir of everything. Now, the word there, the idea of the language there is that it's timeless. In other words, it is a timeliness That is just expanding. It's ageless. He's the heir of all things for all eternity. What is his inheritance? What is his inheritance? He says you're the heir of all things. So what's the inheritance? You have families that get together. And they want to find out when a loved one dies. What the inheritance is going to be. Years ago in a former pastorate. I had a funeral service. And I noticed when I got to the funeral home and started working with that family, the tension was you could have cut it with a knife. And I had one side of the family came to me and says, we want you to talk about uh, the lady who died. We want you to talk about her daughter and say these nice things about her. And then I had the other side of the family come to me and say, we want to talk about the son and how what a nice person he was and all that he did for her. And I thought, what in the world's going on here? And uh, it was almost like the eulogy was going to turn into a competition between which one of the relatives, you know, had done the greatest work. So we got to, I began to make some inquiries. And what I found out was uh, the mom and the grandma who had passed away, she owned prime real estate in the county. And they were pretty well sure the developers were coming in that direction. 
And they were hoping that this, who was ever going to inherit that real estate was going to probably be a multimillionaire. So everybody was competing at the funeral to make sure they got, you know, really good word there to make sure they got the inheritance, etc. I don't know whatever happened with that. I got out of it as soon as the funeral service was over with because I didn't want to get in the middle of it anymore. But I thought that was interesting, interested in that inheritance. So what is Jesus' inheritance here that he, is, that he is going to get from the Father? Very simple. You and I are his inheritance. You and I are his inheritance. You see, he went to the cross and he died on the cross and he shed his blood and he gave his life and he rose three days later to secure us, those who would come to know him and follow him. We are his inheritance. So, he is the son who is the heir of all things. Next, verse 2. It says that he is the creator. He is the creator who explodes with his creative power. In these last days he appointed by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Now I want you to follow this as the idea of Jesus being the creator. The idea of him being the creator is that he was alongside God the Father when God created the world way back in the book of Genesis. But creation in scripture and in science is not something that is confined to a period of time in the past. This universe is constantly expanding. In other words, Jesus started creating with the Father in the book of Genesis, but he is continuing to create. <coughs> cannot hold his creative power to himself. I want you to listen closely to what I'm about to read. Cambridge physicist Stephen Hawking, who has been called the most brilliant theoretical physicist since Einstein, says in his best-selling A Brief History of Time that our galaxy is an average-sized spiral galaxy that looks to other galaxies like a swirl in a pastry roll, and that it has over 100,000 light years across, about 600 trillion miles. He says, we now know that our galaxy is only one of some hundred thousand million that can be seen using modern telescopes. Each galaxy itself containing some 100,000 million stars. That just blows your mind. It is commonly held that the average distance between these 100,000 million galaxies, each 600 trillion miles across, and containing 100,000 million stars is 3 million light years. On top of that, the work of Edward Hubble based on the Doppler effect has shown that all red spectrum galaxies are moving away from us and that they're nearly all red. Thus, the universe is constantly expanding. Some estimates say that the most distant galaxy is 8 billion light years away and racing away at 200 million miles an hour. Finally, the fact of the expanding universe demands a beginning. Though Hawking now doubts that a Big Bang was its beginning. The universe is constantly expanding. Why? Because God, through His Son, is continuing to create. And His creative power is so immense that He cannot hold it to himself. 
He just has to continue to create. You see, one of the problems I think sometimes we have with, with God and with Jesus is we just sort of stick them back in history, and we have them back in history and really contained, sort of static. But that's not the picture of Scripture, that God is confined to a former era, all static. It's rather that He is active, He is dynamic, and He is continuing to create. That's who He is. Verse 3, He is the glory of God. Now, the word that's translated there where it says, verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, is the idea of a ray that comes from an original body, sort of like a sun ray that emanates from the sun. And so it's saying that he is a ray, he is the glory of God that is extended to us. Do you remember when Jesus was transfigured? He went up on what was called later the Mount of Transfiguration. And there on that mountain, he began to just glow with the glory of God. Could he almost look upon him? He was so awesome with the glory of God. That was sort of a visible manifestation in a few minutes before some of the disciples of the glory of God shining through him. But listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's going back to Genesis, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now notice the second part here, this verse, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying there is simply this. That light that shines from the presence of God in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we trust Jesus as our Savior, that light is shining in us. And it's shining for two reasons. It's shining in us so that we can know Him. And it's shining in us so we can shine out of us to other people. Notice he goes on, verse 3, Hebrews chapter 1. He says, The radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. Now, the idea of that exact imprint carries two basic concepts in it. I've got in my hand some molding clay here. And I've got a press the press here has got an image on it. If I take this press and place it on the molding clay and press it in hard, then what appears on the clay is the exact imprint of what is on this press. Now, the idea of the word that is translated here, that he is the exact imprint, is that as this is pressed on this clay and produces the exact imprint so that this looks exactly like this and the clay looks exactly like the press, even so, he's saying that if you look at Jesus, you see God. He is the exact imprint of the person of God, the presence of God, the power of God, and all that God is. He looks like the impression on the seal. If you look at Jesus, you see God. Now, he moves on from that, and he says he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he holds the universe by the word of his power. 
The idea there of exact imprint is again that press and that seal being exact. It is also the idea of the root or settlement of a foundation of a building. In other words, the stability underneath the building is its foundation. And he's saying that Jesus is strong and he is stable and he is eternal. And you can trust him and you can lean on him. And you can rely upon him. Why? Because his foundation is the Father God. Now notice verse 3. It says next about the Lord Jesus. That he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the sustainer. In other words, he holds it all together. We sing a song when I was growing up. He's got the whole world in his hands. And then we... Talk about all the things he had in his hands. That's the idea here that he holds everything. And it's the idea of he upholds. In other words, his hand is underneath upholding. Now, folks, how that applies to our lives is that he's underneath our lives upholding us. Think about that. How many times... Do we try to hold ourselves up and feel like we're going to collapse? He is underneath us, holding us up. He is the sustainer. And it says next in verse 3 that he is the cleanser. The exact imprint of his nature upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the cleanser. We have to let him cleanse us. The idea of sins there is everywhere we've missed the mark, everywhere we've blown it, everywhere we've screwed up, it says that he cleansed it, made it as clean as it could possibly be. And notice what it says he did after he accomplished that. It says that he sat down, he fully achieved our salvation, and then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, it says here that he sat down. In the ancient world, when you completed a task, you sat down. And your physical posture of sitting down communicated the job is completed in total. The priest of Israel never sat down. When they went into the temple, they were up moving around constantly. On the holy, the holiest day of Israel's calendar year, the Day of Atonement, the great high priest would go into the holy place in the tabernacle. And then on that one day, he was permitted to step into the second room, which was called the Holiest of Holies. And he would stand in the presence of God. And he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Before he went in, he put on a robe. And his robe had little bells sewn into the bottom. And the purpose of that was as he was in there before the presence of God, as he moved around, you could hear the bells. And the bells told you that he was there and he was moving and he was okay. Because if he said anything or did anything wrong, God would strike him dead. They wouldn't hear the bells and they knew they'd have to literally drag him out 
his dead body out of the Holy of Holies. But as they heard those bells, those little bells ringing, they called him. He was moving around. But he was moving around constantly because the job was never finished. But when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended to the Father, he sat down because the job was finished. He had completed what the Father gave him to do. He had fully completed our salvation. And folks, you and I don't have to run around trying to get God to love us. Trying to get God to accept us. Trying to earn a salvation that we can't earn because Jesus already got the job done completely. Notice it says he sat down the majesty on high. Now why did he do that? He did not sit down because he was tired and worn out. And didn't have anything else better to do. And he was just going to sort of sit down there and take it easy for the rest of eternity. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Notice what it says. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who indeed is interceding for us. When Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to the Father. He sat down beside the Father to say the job is over. At the Father's right hands, he just looks over and sees the Father God. Father, the job is done. The job is completed. But then what does Jesus do? He begins to intercede for us. He begins to pray for us. And he's doing that right now. So when you and I pray, and we say, well, the words didn't come out right. And I don't think I got the right phrases. And I didn't say it the way I wanted to say it. And I'm just not going to bother to pray because I just don't think I can pray right. Folks, the issue is not what good prayers we are. The issue is that the Son is interceding for us. I take my prayers and pray them up to him, and I let him take them and relay them to the Father God. He is the co-prayer with us. He is interceding for us. Do you realize that this is teaching us that Jesus is praying for you and me today? He is talking to the Father about us today. How many times do you and I freak out because somebody's talking about us? Somebody talking about us on the internet, talking about us on the phone, talking about us somewhere... But Jesus is talking about you. He's talking about you to the Father. He's praying for you for the Father. That ought to give us confidence. That ought to give us joy. That ought to give us a sense of, man, I can move forward because Jesus is praying for me. And when I pray, as screwed up as my prayers may sound and look like sometimes, I know that He's taking it to the Father, gets it all straight, gives it to the Father, and the Father responds. He is interceding for us. Finally, He's the King. He alone is the Son. He alone is the way to God. He's our creator. He's the glory of God. He's our, the one who represents us before the Father. He's our sustainer, our cleanser, the majesty of God. That's what God is saying to us about who His Son is. The next question. 
is what are we going to say back to him? He's speaking through his son. What are we going to say back to him? May I offer you an idea. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. What do we say back to him? You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Let's pray. In some moments of silent prayer, I want to give you opportunity and encouragement to just say to the Lord whatever you need to say to Him. He has spoken to us by His Son in all the ways we talked about this morning. Now, what do you and I want to say back to Him? Lord, we say to you this day that you are worthy. You're worthy to receive glory and honor and power. God, you created all things. And they exist because of you. You're our creator. We are your inheritance. You are the glory of God, Jesus. You're our sustainer. You're our cleanser. You are the majesty of God. Jesus, we bless you. We praise you. We honor you. Lord Jesus, may we never come into your presence without first acknowledging your greatness, your glory, and who you are, and blessing you. Jesus, we thank you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, come to know him as your Savior and follow him and trust him. And as we sing in a moment, I want to invite you to walk the aisle and I would love to pray with you about giving your life to Jesus. If you're here and you made that decision and you need to Become a part of the church family and follow him in baptism. We invite you to come. You need to come and pray. The altar is always is open. Feel free. The Lord is speaking to you about anything else. Since in a call into ministry, we invite you to come. Father, have you way with us in these moments now as we respond to you who are speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.